listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Tonight, we are going to talk about something that we actually just sang about. And I I love the line in that last song, Lord, where you are, I am free. Um, What we're going to talk about tonight is I I feel like something that wants to hold us hostage a lot of the times. Nobody is immune to it. Um, It it has the pull on every single one of us because it takes money to live this life, right? Right. And that, that draw towards money and career and success and the pleasure that comes with it, that thing really can pull on us and try to enslave us um, and not let us experience freedom. So I love that we just sang that because that's where we're going to end up tonight. Like if we want freedom, it's going to be interesting that, Lord, where you are, I'm free. I can trust wherever you have me because that's where you are and where you are, I'm free. Um, and if there's one thing I know that we can all agree upon in this room, it's that life is expensive, right? Um, I know probably many of you have student loans that you feel like you're never going to pay off. I looked up the other day, uh, average rent in Sumner County, $1,200. We got some of you are above that. Um, the average home sale in Sumner County for this past year. Look, this is Sumner County. This is not Nashville, where I know some of you are. Average home sale, about $400,000. You may got $400,000 laying around. And uh, if you want to buy an acre of land, which I would love to do, that's going to cost you about $50,000. Y'all, life is expensive. And for my little family of four, this one is as big of a deal as any of them. 18 eggs, that's going to run you $7 right now. That's, a, that's a less than a week for our little family, right? Like, Life takes money, and sometimes it can feel like money is on my mind all the time. Like, do I need to start some kind of second job? Do I need to go start detailing cars with Luke and make some side money? Like, what do I need to be doing on the weekend to to make some extra cash? It can feel like it uh, can consume me if I let it, right? Do we have no choice but to work ourselves to death to try to make ends meet? Like, I don't think God would want us just chasing the almighty dollar, right? But do we, do we even have a choice? Like, is that the only way we can live because of how expensive things are? Um, is making money and achieving a bad thing? Like, is it wrong for me to have aspirations of having a great career and climbing the ladder? Those are the type of questions that we're going to answer tonight as we continue in our series in Ecclesiastes, asking ourselves the question, man, is everything meaningless? Like, what is the point to all of this. Um, and once again, the, the teacher who is our, uh, the voice in Ecclesiastes, he's going to paint a bleak picture of what wealth looks like, of what making it to the top looks like. And his point is not to like needlessly depress us, right? His point is to wake us up and to make us see like, hey, I've tried all of this. Don't, don't do it the way I did. And he's trying to wake us up and, and I've seen it said this way by a guy named Tim Mackey, who's uh, part of the Bible Project. He said, Ecclesiastes is human self-sufficiency. So me thinking I can take care of myself. It's human self-sufficiency stretched to its absolute limit and found sorely wanting. That's what we're going to see 
in Ecclesiastes tonight. This is the bad news that leads us to the good news of Jesus. This book goes to extreme measures to try to wake us up to these realities. I mean, here's the truth that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would want you to go home with tonight. And it's just this, that money and career and pleasures, they make a terrible God. And when I say God, I mean something that you are chasing after, that you wake up in the morning thinking about, that they make a terrible God, but they make wonderful gifts. When we can shift our perspective from making these things a God in our life to viewing them as gifts from God, then they become a wonderful thing in our life that the Lord can use to work in and through your life. So I hope that you'll hear tonight, the life that God would give to you as a gift is way better than any life that you may be dreaming of or chasing after. That's where we're headed tonight. That's what he is, uh, the teacher is attempting to get you to see in Ecclesiastes. So he's going to start trying to wake us up to this in chapter 2. So follow along with me, Ecclesiastes 2, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, says this, I thought in my heart, come now. So he's talking to himself here. Come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Verse 2, laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So he's kind of taking us on this like literal experiment he did with his own life. He's like, all right, I got time. I'm going to figure out what is good to do. Like, what is it that's actually fulfilling in life that we can go do? Verse 4. Here's what he went and tried out. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well as the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Everything was hevel, like we talked about last time, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. These first 11 verses ought to wake us up, right? These are his thesis statement, if you will, on on this whole idea of success. And what he's trying to get us to do, like I said earlier, saying, man, don't, don't do it the way I did. Like I tried it. I've tried it all. Learn from me. Learn from my life and don't do the things the way I did. And that is kind of a big, overwhelming first section. Like that's, whoa, like teacher, you just threw a lot at us here in 11 verses. So what I've tried to do throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, because he, he keeps coming back to this idea of success and chasing pleasure and all these things. What I've tried to do is survey the whole book and pull out a few main ideas that go along with that to, to get us a coherent thought, um, a thought process And where we're going to end is what we said earlier, that pleasure and success 
make a terrible God, but they make a wonderful gift. So the first main idea that he pulls throughout Ecclesiastes, and I'll show you the the verses I'm pulling from in just a second, is just self-sufficiency. So this whole idea that I can take care of myself if I just make enough or have enough, like I'm going to be all right. I I can take care of me and my family and and we'll be good. Um, And that mindset is one that I developed in college at some point when, when I was at UTC, um, before, we, before me and my friends went back from my sophomore year, we said, all right, we want to work at a golf course. I don't care how much we make. I just want to play free golf. So we went to literally every golf course we could Google in Chattanooga, applied at all of them before we went back to school. And there was one in particular that we drove up to. It was the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. And you can tell just from the name what kind of place it is. And we laughed as we drove up to it because we're thinking, there is no way they're hiring these two guys like some college sophomores, like we're looking at this immaculate clubhouse sitting up on a hill overlooking the river, the golf course and the tennis courts and the pool and all of it. And it was like, ain't no way, but we'll go in and look at it at least. And lo and behold, you know the story? That's the only place that even called us back. So me and my goofy friend, we ended up working in the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. And this is what this place was like. To get in, if you had the recommendation of two members already, then you earned the right to pay $10,000 up front. That earned you the right to pay $400 a month to be part of this exclusive club. But only that, that only got you in the door. You also received a bill at the end of every month for every tea time you booked, every meal you ate, every swimming lesson or tennis lesson you took. You got a bill for all of those things at the end of the month. So you can imagine the type of people that were members at this club. It was the who's who of Chattanooga. Even Bill Haslam was a member there. Like it's those type people. And I had the distinct honor of cleaning their golf clubs. Um, it, was, it was honestly a pretty sweet gig. Um, but here's what happened as I worked there throughout a whole school year. I'm around these people all the time. And every time I drove my golf cart down and picked a guy up in his Jaguar and drove him to the first tee, I'm thinking, this seems pretty nice. Like, I'd love to have some 20-something guy picking me up in my car and cleaning my clubs and driving me to the tee and asking if I need anything from the clubhouse. Like, that seems like a pretty nice life. These guys have it figured out. And that's when the wheels start turning of like, man, if I can just make enough, then literally any problem that comes up in life, I can take care of it myself. And so I actually took the step of switching my major to biology so that I could go to medical school. Like that was how serious I was in the moment. Now you see where I'm working. I did not go to medical school, Um, but it did work in my favor. It just so happened that couple of weeks where I was going to medical school, that was the couple of weeks that I met Rachel. She's like, hey, he's cute. He's gonna be a doctor one day. Um, It caught her eye at least, it worked out. Um, I don't know if she's disappointed in what I'm doing or not, but. Um, It didn't take me long to realize that medical school was not where I wanted to end up, but this idea of self-sufficiency still has a way of rooting itself down deep inside us, right? And that, that part of it can be hard to overcome. And maybe that's some of what your attitude is and you don't even realize it because it took me a while to figure that out myself. Let me, let me read to you Ecclesiastes um, chapter five where he's starting to show some of the ramifications of chasing after self-sufficiency. Chapter five, verse 10 is where I'm reading. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 
As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The, sweet, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So the more you're making, the higher you climb the ladder, you got to know too, the higher your stress level is going to be, the harder it is to sleep at night. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Money is not reliable. You don't know when it's going to disappear. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. That's Ecclesiastes 5. And if I'm pulling from all over this book, y'all, so if you want my notes later, just let me know, and I can give you all of these references. Um, Ecclesiastes 6 follows the same thought process. Verse 7, everyone's toil is for their mouth. Everyone's concern is themselves, right? Everyone's toil is their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Self-sufficiency is a myth. You will never get to the place where you feel like you're taken care of. The, the, the more money you have, the more money you feel like you need. Um, in fact, self-sufficiency is it's the exact opposite of how God wants us to live life, right? Like he wants us to lean on one another and depend on each other and live in community and share things. When you live that way, it lets you not worry about how far you're climbing the ladder or how much you're making. It allows you to do those things. We'll come back to that idea in just a minute. The teacher has experienced all this success, right? Um, he's experienced chasing after self-sufficiency. He's shown us that it's meaningless, but how did it leave him feeling? Listen to this section and see if this is how you want to feel with your life. This is Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to ones who come after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Man, leaving a legacy is a great thing, but I have no idea what my sons are going to do with the money that I leave them when I die. They might be completely foolish with it. That's what this guy's thinking. Man, I put in this whole life of work and I don't even know what my own family's going to do with what I leave them. Verse 20, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds don't rest. This too is meaningless. Y'all, fame and wealth and achievement... He's, he's trying to give us this warning, like it's not going to satisfy. And hopefully you know this already, but, but the secret that we know here is that Jesus is the only one that will ever satisfy, fully satisfy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy at, at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. That's the only place you're going to find those things. Fame and wealth, they don't satisfy. And y'all, you don't have to look far to find modern day examples of these things. I'm sure you've heard them yourself. Tom Brady, after winning one of his Super Bowls, said in an interview, I think it was on 60 Minutes, he said, there's got to be more. Billie Eilish has called fame trash. Harrison Ford calls it a burden. Robert Pattinson said, people don't tell you how lonely you're going to be when you make it to the top. So 
it begs the question, if this is the conclusion, like if this is how people feel when they make it to the top, when they've found the career they wanted, when they've achieved all they wanted to achieve, why do we all keep striving for it? Like it sounds like a terrible idea from those who have been there. So we need to do some self-evaluation to figure out what our motivation is. We've seen the idea of self-sufficiency and that it doesn't satisfy. Now we've got to do some self-evaluation and figure out why do we still want that at times? What is our motive? Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4 gives us the answer to most of it. Verse four says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement, here's where it comes from, springs from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. One person's envy of another, that's where all this comes from. I think he's probably right in the vast majority of cases. This is, this is about as straightforward as it gets. We need to do some real work examining our motives tonight on, on everything that we do in this, in this realm. Because when, when I dig down deep, uh, I got to ask, where does my desire to achieve come from? Like, is that a healthy thing? Because there's a healthy way to do all these things that we're going to see in just a second. I, am I healthy in my desire for success right now? Like, why do I want the certain size house for my family? Why do I want to be the CEO of the company someday? Why do I want um, to finish college with the 4.0 GPA? Well, whose name am I trying to make great? Like that's probably where those questions should lead us. Keep asking those questions until you get to the root of your ambition. Hopefully it's in a healthy place, but I'm gonna guess for a lot of us, at the very root of it, it's not. And we need to pull that root up and plant new. I want you to spend some time this week asking God to show you where that root is so that you can change course if you need to. Because um, as the teacher told us here, there's a good chance um, that it needs some adjusting. It needs, maybe it's the envy of another, maybe it's just wanting to prove yourself, maybe it's insecurity, whatever the case may be, we want to get our desire for success, and success into a healthy place. And I want you to recognize, you know this, but I want you to really feel it. Like the world is designed for you to experience envy. Every single ad that you see for anything, their sole purpose is to make you jealous that you don't have that thing. And that's, that's fine. That's their thing. They're trying to sell a product. But just know that when you look at it, you need to be wise when you're watching advertisements. Um, Every time you have a friend that succeeds at something, man, the enemy is going to be right there tempting you to be jealous of that person and not happy for your friend. Every time you get on Instagram or TikTok, like you, you're going to be bombarded with stuff. You're seeing other people's lives and they're going to have things that you don't have. And listen, I, I don't ever want to be the guy that just bashes social media. Like it's not going anywhere. It can be used for good. Um, but we can still be wise in how we use it, right? And how we think about it. So when you open up an app, like you need, to, you need to open it up with your guard up too. Like, Lord, I know when I open this, I mean, for me, this, you know, y'all are gonna laugh at me, it sounds dumb, but it's like I open up Instagram and there's Dwayne Johnson with his latest motivational speech or workout that he's trying to share. I'm immediately like, I'm never gonna look like that guy. No matter how bad I want to, no matter how many hours I ever spent in the gym, never gonna look like him. And it's real tempting for me to be jealous and to try to figure out some scheme to try to get like that. It's never going to happen. 
right? When Rachel's planning our boy's birthday party, she sees the influencers that are in Nashville and we're thinking like the smoothie machine they rented for this three-year-old's birthday party costs more than our mortgage does. Like we can't do that. And instantly we're envious of these people, right? If we're not careful, if we're not guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Social media is not a bad thing in and of itself. Just be wise in how you do it. Be mindful when you open up an app that that's what's coming for you um, to, so that you can fight against it. Just y'all do the hard work of some self-evaluation in your desire for success this week. Um, and what I hope it'll get you to is a healthy view of success. And that's where the teacher's trying to get us to. He's trying to give us a distaste for all of these things and a real desire for God a desire for that relationship to be flourishing, a desire to view everything we get as gifts from him. That's where we're headed next is this healthy view of success. The first idea that he has on this healthy view of success is that we're gonna value relationships over riches. We've got to value relationships and people more than stuff, right? Ecclesiastes chapter four, again, I'm starting in verse seven, says this, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, for there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he's been in all his time working, but he has, doesn't have any children, doesn't have a spouse, obviously, doesn't have any friends, doesn't have a brother, like this guy's all alone. Here's this guy's conclusions. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken relationships are more valuable than riches. That's what he's trying to get you to. So how do we go about valuing our relationships more than our riches? Like, what good is it to climb the ladder but have no friends or family that are climbing it along with you? What good is it to get to the top of the ladder and to be all alone? And some of you, I know uh, back in December, some of you enjoyed, maybe for the first time, my annual picture of me on the ladder putting up our Christmas lights. I know Eli saw it. Um, this has become, within my fan base, probably the thing everybody looks forward to the most, um, is me up on a ladder with a Clark Griswold-type hat on, just trying to hang some lights, just trying to make my wife happy. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's risking my life, but I'm willing to do that for her. Um, so I actually, I put the ladder in the back of my truck, I wedge it in there, um, so that I know it's not going anywhere. And I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, the top of our roof is pretty tall and I'm putting lights up on the very top of it. So I'm climbing a literal ladder, right? Um, and what I have to do every year to get this ladder is borrow it from my neighbor. And every year I'm, I'm going over there like, this is probably, y'all are probably not to this stage of life yet. Ladders are expensive. Why are ladders so expensive? Now I don't want that thing to, collapse while I'm up there, but why are ladders like $400? Um, it makes me be like, I'm not buying one of those for myself. My neighbor has one across the street. But it also makes me think like every time I go over there, I'm like, 
man, Adam, I'm sorry. Like, I still haven't gotten one. Like, I promise by next Christmas I'll have a ladder for myself. And his response, like you would think, is, dude, don't worry about it. I've got a ladder. Like, you don't, you don't need to go buy one. I've got one. And it, it makes me ask the question, like, why do I feel this need to even show him that I'm self-sufficient? Like, what's the insecurity there? Why do I feel the need to say those things to him when I go to borrow his ladder? Um, and what I want you to hear, y'all, which way do you think God is more pleased? If I go and save some money, we cut back on some things for a month and make sure we've got enough in the budget to go by one of these real nice ladders and we do it and we do it for ourselves and the young family now has a ladder. Does that make him more proud? Or does, do you think he's more pleased with me going over twice a year to my neighbor and having a conversation with him while I get a ladder from him? Like which one do you think God is probably more excited about? I would guess it's the relationship that's being built through those conversations. Relationships are more valuable than money and they're more valuable to God. So what kind of steps, like that's, that's just an example from my life, but think about your own life. Like what kind of steps do you need to take to make sure you're valuing relationships over your success? And I know, I know this sounds easier said than done at times because you've got pressures on you, you've got a boss and you've got professors and all that. I know that, but what steps can you take? Um, an easy one here at the church is to commit to a life group because sometimes that life group is gonna come at a time when you've got work to do or you've got an exam tomorrow and you're thinking, man, I really should probably put my time and energy into climbing the ladder or whatever it is. I'm gonna skip out on that tonight. Um, and I, listen, some of your parents are not gonna like me saying these things. You are not, your GPA ain't gonna mean a thing once you get out of school. I promise you. Um, I, I think there's something I'm going to get to here in a second, but y'all, Jesus wants you to value those relationships. I'm not telling you don't work hard. I'm not telling you don't do those things, but y'all, you can take a break. You can take a break to go be with people. And really practically, man, turn off notifications on your phone and be with the people that you're with in person. Like nobody likes it when your friend, you're trying to talk to them and they've got their phone in their hand, right? Like Pastor Robbie just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Nobody likes that. We know you're not listening. It's not worth me talking to you if you've got your phone in your hand. Turn those notifications off. If it's work stuff, there is no need for you to have email notifications coming up on your phone. Just trust God that if there is something urgent that you absolutely have to get to in the middle of your time with your friends, somebody will be able to find you. Trust God with that. You don't have to know what's happening at all times. If somebody really, really needs you, here's what I've told my family recently, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, but here's what I've told them. I said, y'all, when I get home, I'm gonna put my phone in the bathroom, I'm gonna put it on silent, it will still ring if you call me, but just know I'm not gonna answer texts. I may look at it before I go to bed, but that's where my phone is. And you know what? I have not missed a thing. You're not gonna miss anything. Be with the people that you're with in person. Um, I think this is what the teacher would encourage us to do in a day like 2023. Um, and I would tell you this too. I know I started to say this just a second ago. It's okay for you to take a break from work or school. I know that you have expectations put on you, maybe from your parents, maybe from your boss, maybe from your professor. I know you have those expectations and those pressures. You're going to have to trust God with those or they'll crush you. You're gonna to have to trust God that it is okay for you to value the things that he values and to let this other thing sit there for a little bit. The work will still be there tomorrow. I promise you it is not going anywhere. 
It'll still be there tomorrow. Take a break. Go be with people. Go enjoy a meal with friends. Like th- th- this is what the teacher's getting. We'll talk about this in our last week in Ecclesiastes. Like there are good things in life that God really wants you to enjoy. Go have a meal with friends. Go watch a movie. Go take your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse. Go take them on the date that you've been talking about going on forever. Go, go do it. Like just go live and don't worry so much about whatever ladder you're trying to climb. And I, I know that yoke that has been placed on you, whoever it's been placed on you by, I know that yoke feels heavy. I know it feels like it's weighing your shoulders down, but you also know what Jesus would tell you. And that said, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Man, would you tonight take off whatever yoke has been placed on your shoulders and put on the yoke that Jesus offers you? Would you trust him with that? Like, I know it feels scary to put down this thing that you're chasing after. I know it feels scary to do that. But man, would you put on the yoke that Jesus is offering you? You can trust God with the results of that. Um, Choose to believe that the life Jesus will lead you to might just be better than the one you're chasing. Um, That's We're going to value relationships over any kind of riches we could come up with. And then the way we're going to view success, the way that I believe the teacher would have us view success, is that any success we have is a gift from God. That's a totally different perspective than the way the world would have you think about things. Any success we have is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, accepting their lot. Like there's, that, that phrase has hit me this week because accepting your lot in life may not mean you've got a whole lot, but what you do have is contentment. God gives wealth and possessions. People accept their lot and are happy in their toil. This is a gift from God. Verse 20, they seldom reflect on the days of their life. They're not, they're not worried about where they're going tomorrow because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I'm going to guess we would all say that is the life that I would like to live. Whether it's where you're at right now or not, that's the life I want. I want to be so preoccupied with the gladness that God has given me that I'm not worried about anything. That life sounds pretty good. Um, And I don't think I need to expand on his words much here. Um, But when you choose to believe that, when you choose to believe that God brings you your wealth and possessions you're free. You're free. All of a sudden, you're not so worried about, man, how do I get that next job? Man, how, like this, this is how this plays out in real life when you have this life of gratitude towards God for giving you everything that you have. For one, it's not yours anymore, and you're willing to share with people, and you're willing to have people in your home, and you're willing to pay for somebody's lunch. Like, I mean, this, this money's not mine anyways. Let me give you some. <laughs> For one, when we live this life of gratitude, this is the type of things that you can start saying, like, man, I studied diligently for that test. I did my studying to the glory of God. Man, all I could muster was a B on test day. Good. God, thank you for the opportunity to be in college right now. I'm going to give it my best shot again next time. Your end of the year raise wasn't quite what you thought it would be. Good. God, thank you for my job. Thank you that I've got the opportunity to work and support myself. I trust you that what you've given me is enough. Somebody else got the promotion you thought you were shoo-in for, right? Good. God, thanks for the job I have. 
I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going to keep working to the glory of God. Lord, don't let bitterness get inside of me towards that person that got the promotion. That's the type of attitude you can have. Now, here's the kicker on the flip side. When you do get the promotion, when you do get the raise, when you do get the house, when you do get all of those things, and it's a gift from God, there's no pride to be had. It's still, thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given me. Help me to steward them well. Help me to steward them in a way that honors you. This is a total shift in perspective from where the teacher was earlier in this text. What do we do with this shift in attitude? Like, do we just stop trying and throw up our hands and say, okay, God, provide for me? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think we still, if we look at the rest of scripture, we would see God wants us to work hard at our jobs and he wants us to represent him well in the workplace and do a good job in school. Like he wants us to do those things, but we've got another uh, answer to this and it's when we need to find where we find peace and contentment. And this is buried in the middle of chapter four. Once you get the word picture that he gives us, I I feel like this is a concluding thought for him. You know, if you read Ecclesiastes, you're going to see He's all over the place. And I think that gives us some insight into even his mindset writing this book. And because I feel like he's got almost this concluding thought on the idea of success in chapter four. Here's what he says. Get this word picture. Verse five, fools fold their hands and they ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility or peace than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. Here's the word picture. It gives us three different pictures of a person right here. The first person folds their hands and they ruin themselves. They say, all right, this is meaningless. This is pointless. God, just provide for me. You ruin yourself that way. That's not the attitude God wants us to have. The third person that's mentioned there, they are grasping. They have two clenched fists trying to grab whatever they can get, and they open their palms at the end of their life and realize there's nothing there. But that middle person, the middle person, what is that person doing with their hands? Says they have one hand full, that's good. God wants to provide for us, and the other hand is just at peace. That tranquility, it's in your pocket right here. It's not even having to do anything. That's the life I want. I want to have enough, and I want to have peace in this other hand. There's a real principle that I heard somebody teaching several years ago, the principle of just enough. And if you read through the Bible, you're going to see there are a lot of people that had just enough, and they had to trust God for just enough tomorrow. Um, We can sleep easy at night trusting that God will provide for us and trusting what he provides for us, no matter how much or how little that may be. Really, really, all of this comes down to, do I trust God? Do I trust God with wherever he has me in life? Listen, y'all are in a stage of life where there are lots of changes happening. You may move to a new city. you got new jobs. You're transferring schools. You're trying to figure out where you are in life. And I know it can feel restless and like, God, what are you doing? Like, where, where do you have me? Where do you want me? What, what's going on? That's the restlessness you can feel inside. And it all comes down to, do I trust God. Um, and I, I think God brought along this particular passage, this topic, at a good time for me in my life. It's funny how that happens um, every week. And this is a good thing. This is how it should be. But I always feel like the Lord's like, okay, Dylan, do you believe what you're about to preach? Do you believe what you've just written on these few pages? Um, and, I, and it 
it's come to me at a good time. Here's why. I, a couple of years ago, uh, during our kind of revival period here at the church, we, we had prayer nights that were happening. And at one of those prayer nights, um, we, we, at the time we were in the middle of a process, there was a church that was looking at me to be their senior pastor, and that had not happened. I was really frustrated with it. Just couldn't figure out why it didn't happen. Um, thought that was where we were going to be for the rest of our lives. And that didn't happen, and I was really frustrated about it. And I don't think I realized how frustrated I was. And at one of these prayer nights, we were singing the song, Christ Be Magnified. And Pastor Robbie got up, he stopped the song. And this is a really specific question that I think he just felt the Lord laid on his heart. And he asked us all, he said, hey, I want you to stop right now. And I want you to ask the Lord, before we go back to singing, ask the Lord, is there anything I need to stop doing right now in order for you to be magnified in my life? Is there anything I need to stop doing? I'm like, that's kind of a strangely specific question, but okay, I'll ask. Um, and I asked God if there was anything I needed to stop doing. And, um, and as close to an audible voice as I've ever heard from the Lord, he said, you need to stop telling me this is not good enough. And I thought, Lord, that's, that's not my attitude. Like, I got to push back against this. Like, that's not how I feel. Stop telling me this is not good enough. And in that moment, I had to just kind of sit there and be like, is that really how I felt? And the truth is, it was. Like, there was a lot, of, a lot of my heart and my mind that were saying, like, golly, Lord, like, this was, this was the way. Like, this was what needed to happen. And where I'm at right now, I'm not, I'm not saying this, but this is what I feel, is where you've got me right now is not good enough. And, and I thought, like, God, that is not what I want you to feel for me. I am sorry. Um, and, it, and it changed my perspective. In that moment, at least, um, that, was a, that was kind of a, a really eye-opening moment for me. Well, fast forward two years later, a couple of weeks ago, Rachel and I were in the process of trying to decide if we want to have another child. And there's a lot. Two's easy. You can do two kids. The third one, there's a lot more goes into that decision. And we're trying to decide if we need a new house, if we're going to do that. Trying to decide if we can afford either of those things. And really, it's, I had gotten to the point again where I don't think I realized how frustrated I was with the process, feeling like our finances were deciding things for us. Like they're making that decision for us when I felt like we wanted to do something different. And I, and I didn't realize all of that was in my head, but what's the Lord do? At our staff chapel two weeks ago, we always sing one song before Pastor Rami talks to us, and we sang the song, Christ Be Magnified. And in that moment, I was like, I should probably ask that question again. I about do it every time I hear that song now, but I was like, okay, Lord, is there anything I need to stop doing in order for you to be magnified in my life? And you know the answer. It was, Dylan, stop telling me this isn't good enough. And I'm sitting there again like, man, for one, have I learned nothing <laughs> in two years? Am I still telling you that just in a different scenario, God? That is not how I want to be. That is not how I want God to, that's not what I want him to feel from me. Um, and I want to just read you what I journaled that day. It's nothing crazy, but I wonder if maybe you can relate to it in some way. Maybe there's something in here that needs to be a prayer of yours. Um, I don't know, but here's what I journaled that day. Stop telling me this isn't good enough. That's what I've been doing in this decision-making process. I've been frustrated by my income, our home, not having family here, all of it. All the outside factors 
that feel like they're making this decision for us. That same word from God hit me again today. It made me realize my frustration with factors out of my control is actually frustration with the one in control. God, this is good enough. Our boys are good enough. Our home is good enough. Our finances are good enough. Forgive my discontentment. Thank you for your many blessings. Um, like I said, that's, that's nothing complicated, but I wonder if maybe that's where some of you are tonight with whatever situation you find yourself in. Um, so before we start to sing again, I want you to just take a moment and ask God if there's an area where you're telling him, God, where you have me is not good enough. Because I'm going to guess you can probably find something in there that that's, you're telling God, this, this area of my life, this isn't good enough. So what I feel like I have to do is work harder and try harder and climb the ladder more and make better grades because I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands, apparently, because what, what you're giving to me is not good enough. Um, so take just a moment, and I'm going to pray over you. Take a moment to ask God that question. Ask him to show you if there is some area of your life that you're telling him is not good enough. Um, and I promise you guys, if there is, he'll show it to you. And then you can confess that and you can clear the air with God. I mean, you can shift your perspective. You can have a healthier attitude toward success. And that's, that's what I want for you tonight, um, is to trust that God himself is enough for you. Trust that he gave you Jesus. Man, whatever he gives you on top of that is good enough, right? So let me pray over you, and I'm going to let you ask that question to God yourself. Lord, would you fill the room right now with your presence and with uh, a word from you for each of us? God, we know that where you have us is good enough because it's your plan. It's your job that you gave us. It's your school you have me at. It's, it's all of those things are from you, God, and they are gifts that we want to steward well. Lord, I pray now as the people in this room ask you to show them places that honestly we need to repent. God, would you do that for us? Would you be faithful to open our eyes to places where we don't have a healthy attitude toward success? And God, I pray that when we walk out tonight, our attitude might be different and that we'll be able to walk in peace and contentment and tranquility like your word says tonight. God, that's the life that we want and that's the life that can be found in you. Jesus, we love you. We trust you to do these things in our life. We trust you to bring us contentment. And we pray all of it in your name. Amen.